and the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Ball. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. Welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I'm Roxy Andrews, and I'm here to make it clear. <laughs> I guess I'll be Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> I literally that thought... That actually of, makes sense. Oh my god, it kind of really does. <laughs> I actually thought about that as I was coming over here. I'm like, we need to start doing really, really fun intros. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, we've recorded a couple episodes already for um, season two here, but I'm like, why not just start with 1981? We'll just we'll just go out from here. But then I was like, oh, we kind of sound like Trixie and Katya in a way for the... Oh. Oh, mm -hmm. show, but who gives a fuck? You want to know why? Because it's our show and not yours. Right. Now that was a blatant ripoff right there. <laughs> What's up, buddy? How you been? I've been pretty good. Good, good. How was your weekend? Um, It was fine. Um, Let's see. I saw Captain Marvel this weekend. Mm. Um, So that was pretty good. I'm not a huge Marvel fan, mm -hmm. um, but I see them all eventually. Yeah. I thought it was fine. Uh, I didn't dislike it. I didn't love it. I enjoyed myself. Yeah. Are you ready for... Are you all caught up then for uh, I think Endgame? so. Yeah, I think I've seen them all. I actually got a ticket for that, which I don't know if we mentioned in the last one. Though. Yeah, I haven't gotten my ticket yet. It was... It, it waited forever because that yeah. website, when it came up, it was like, oh, three to five hour wait. And I was like, well, fuck this. Yeah. I'll just wait. Yeah, that's then too I, much. I checked it like maybe 20 minutes later and it's like 10 minute wait. I'm like, I don't know what I had to do to like... Or how I got into that 10 minute wait, but I was like, I will wait. I'm here for it. Like, I'm ready to go. I'll probably see it like a month after it's out. I'll know no. everything and it'll be fine. Do you know what did come out though? Hmm. And I am not taking this away from anybody, but the trailer for the new Star Wars movie came oh, out. Oh, yeah. And do, do you watch Star Wars films? I do. Yeah, it's kind of like the same with Marvel. Like, I, I watch them. I like them, but I'm not, like, a huge fanatic. This is the first one from the most recent trilogy of episodes 7, 8, now 9. This is the first one I actually think looks really good. Oh, really? I didn't like um, the last two. I thought they were, like really bad mm -hmm. really bad in the form of like storytelling and just like i thought especially the last jedi was so boring um and <laughs> film twitter was going insane yeah they're real into it listen i i have grown so much as a person let the person enjoy like uh -huh. you know what i mean like let yeah, you let you. people like things yeah of course like i'm not tearing anyone yeah. down now like i'm just like I, I think I tweeted too. I was like, "Did y'all see the dumpster trash fire that was the last one?" And I, I literally said, "Like, I'm not taking this any way, you know, away from you. I'm just like, I'm not excited for this one whatsoever." Yeah, like I watch them. I have a good time, but yeah. it's not my thing. Let me rephrase that. I'm excited for this one, and this is the first time because I thought right. the other two were really bad. I think I just uh -huh. reworded that a little badly. But yeah, it's um, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to see. to see Billy D. Williams back. Yes, I really do like that, especially because you know we talked about Lady Sings the Blues last season, yeah. and um. You know, he was really, really great in that movie. And, uh, yeah, it is exciting to see, what is it, Lando? Yes. Lando is yeah. uh, back. But it's so funny, too, because I really watch these now for Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, even though she's not, like, in it on screen, per se. But yeah. I like her as a... Maz. Ma Maz, Maz, Maz yeah. or Maz. Yeah. yeah. She's funny. I definitely, do. I definitely dig it. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what else I'm really, really into? is the fact that this year is a great year for... Well, the past two years, in general, have been really good for horror. Yeah. Even if I don't like the film, for example, like Us right. or the new Pet Cemetery, I didn't think was, like, super great. I haven't seen Pet Cemetery yet. So it's, it's, it's really good for, like, 
you know, just watching for Killing Time. But I think, like, if you're going to remake a movie, you have to be able to add something, like, another layer sure. to what came before it. And I'm not knocking this one in, like, the way that it did us, mm-hmm. but, like, this was... Um, it was just okay. I mean, it's creepy. It's a creepy movie, but yeah. I wouldn't say it's like good. Um, but it chapter two, I'm really, really excited I'm for. Excited That's for that too. Year. Jessica Chastain. Yeah, I really like Jessica Chastain. Um, I'm actually, I can't believe we still have so much time before we talk about Jessica Chastain, and we right. only get her two years unless you know by the time. I don't think it'll be a whole other Oscar season by any chance that we so. get to her, but. Yeah, and we get her back to back. Mm-hmm. Back to back. So, um, yeah, you ready to dive in? Okay. All right, all right. So we're talking about 1981. Right. The class of 81. And we've actually got a um, couple people here that we get to talk about kind of for the first time. Yeah. Uh, uh, not Jane Fonda, but um, Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Which is, the, this is the only time we're going to be able to really right, talk about Right, because all of her nominations, except for this, came in the 60s or earlier. Right, right. And Susan Sarandon. Right. Um, and then we're actually ending our tour of Maureen Stapleton here. And Marsha Mason. And Marsha Mason. That's right. Oh, fuck. So we've got, we've got something to talk into. So yeah. you ready? Yeah. All right. And your nominees were... Linda Dillon, Absence of Malice. Jane Fonda on Golden Pond. Joan Hackett, Only When I Laugh. Elizabeth McGovern, Ragtime. Maureen Stapleton, Reds. All right, so let's start off with Melinda Dillon. Okay. Uh, Melinda Dillon uh, plays Teresa, or I'm sorry, Teresa, uh, in Absence of Malice, and this is her second of two nominations. Um, going into Oscar night, she only was nominated for like two kind of like small awards here. Um, and one, and she won the Kansas City Film Critics Association Award for Best Supporting Actress, and then was nominated for the LA Film Critics Association for Best Supporting Actress. Um, in Absence of Malice, uh, Melinda Dillon again plays Teresa. Uh, she kind of plays the anonymous victim to this newspaper story that's hit um, that Sally Field plants—I shouldn't say plants, but publishes—in the Miami. What is it, the Miami Herald? I think so. Yeah, we'll call it the Miami Herald. Um, she's best friends with um, Paul Newman's character. And pretty much she's a terrified Catholic who's quote unquote committed the ultimate sin. So it's like, what if her family finds out? What if her church that she works for finds out? I love her enter or her introduction in this movie too, because yes. she's smoking in a bathroom and a nun at the Catholic school that she works at. And the nun's like, you smoking in there. She's like, no, well, it's it. Well, you also get a little bit of a wide shot where you see the nun outside the stall and you see the smoke. Right, so right. So she's not hiding it. Oh, but she's like still lying about it, which is yeah, great. Yeah, she thinks she's getting away with it. So what, what, do you, what do you think about Melinda Dillon in, as Teresa in Absence of Malice? I like her in this a lot. Um, there's a gravity to this character that she really sells. Like you really understand that she's going through some stuff. She's like eating herself alive on mm-hmm. the inside because... It's an abortion mm-hmm. that she's had, right? Right. This so that's is, why I said the quote-unquote. Exactly. You know, I just wanted to clarify that for scene. people who may not have seen the movie. Yeah. But yeah, she's uh, she's committed this quote-unquote horrible act that someone in her situation could never get away with and go on with a clean conscience. Yeah. While she's working at a Catholic school, she she's a teacher or I think she's an officer. She's okay. She's like yeah. a clerical. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like her in this a lot. There's um, I I picked up on a interesting visual cue that 
Sidney Pollack who directed this and maybe the costume designer, maybe this was them. There's a scene where Sally Field and uh, Melinda Dillon are sitting outside and Sally Field's interviewing her. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting on like a bench of some sort and Melinda Dillon is so covered up. Mm-hmm. She has like a long dress on with a cardigan over that goes down to her wrist and she has like knee high boots on. She is completely hiding. She kind of looks like Carrie White. In a way. Yeah. But, but like she's showing as little skin as humanly possible mm-hmm. without being, you know, just covered by a blanket. Right. Meanwhile, Sally Field, on the other hand, is wearing like a skirt and you can see her arms. It's an interesting visual difference in yeah. the two. And I just kind of, it's a weird detail that I picked up on. It's almost like the yin and the yang. Like she has such Catholic guilt over this. Yeah. And she knows that she needed to do it, but it's... You have to also have to remember is that this is filmed in 1980, 1981 is when it comes out, but it still takes place in a time where legal abortion, safe abortion in this country was so new still. It was only a decade old. Yeah. So unfortunately, there's still like a weird stigma about it to this day. But this is such a time where especially like the Catholic Church was like abortion, bad, like bad, bad. And, you know, she's she really is a victim to her own faith. Yeah. And it's. I um I I got I gotta say I like this a lot better than her Close Encounters of Third Kind nomination. I actually do too. It's a way smaller role mm-hmm. than that one, but she has a lot more to do here. It's also a much smaller movie overall. Yeah, yeah. And probably it's definitely the one people have seen less. Yeah, I. I, I yeah. It doesn't have the cultural significance of Close Encounters, which is weird too because Absence of Malice was kind of a huge awards hit. Um, and I, I honestly don't know if it was uh, a huge box office hit, but you know Paul Newman got nominated, right. and then um, Sally Field didn't get the Oscar nomination, but she got a Golden Globe nomination. Yeah. So this was her kind of like her first big leading role post Norma Ray. Mm-hmm. So this is for me because in a movie by Sidney Pollack, right? Who was a big? He would go on to do Tootsie. And he had just, God, I can't wait to talk about Tootsie. I know he had like just done what they shoot horses, don't they, and a couple other things. So yeah. He was yeah. a, a director on the rise. Yeah. Um, and this is what I have to believe would have been Sally Field's first offer that she took post Norma Ray because they would have mm. filmed this in the sure. in 1980, which would have she won the Oscar for 79 and 1980. Yeah, that so. makes sense. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add to Melinda Dillon? Um, not at the moment. All right. Um, our next nominee that year was Jane Fonda as Chelsea Thayer Wayne in On Golden Pond. Um, this was her sixth of seven nominations. This is her first nomination for the 80s. Um, we saw her in, speaking of They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Right. We saw her nominated for the, for that film there, and then she would follow that with a win for Clute. Um, she would follow that then with uh, a win for Coming Home, a nomination for um, uh, The China Syndrome, for, oh, I'm missing one right there. In the seven. Oh, Julia. Julia. Sorry. I try to forget about Julia, to be honest with you. Um, she had a nomination for Julia, then she won for Coming Home, and then uh, China Syndrome, and then we saw her again here. Yes. We would see her again in a couple years for um, The Morning After. Going into Oscar night, she was uh, a two-time nominee for a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Drama and a BAFTA nomination. Um, she's actually the only nominee this year to get a BAFTA nomination. Oh, from Golden Pond? From, no, from the whole, whole oh, lineup. Oh, here. yes. Okay. So in On Golden Pond, Jane plays uh, the daughter of her real-life father, uh, Henry Fonda, um, who they kind of have a tumultuous relationship. And uh, she kind of takes this summer that she feels is going to be like the last summer that he's around, which weirdly he also was Mm -hmm. in real life, um, to kind of patch things up and try to move forward from the pain that she was carrying around from her childhood. Um, This movie really wanted to make this movie happen for a couple of reasons. 
she and Henry Fonda, her father, did not have a very good relationship like their characters in the movie. Uh-huh. And even though she had experienced a great deal of success there in the late 60s and 70s, Henry Fonda didn't really have a whole lot of success, save a couple of movies like Grapes of Wrath and so right. forth. But he had also never won an Oscar. Yeah. And she had sort of made it her goal to give her father his last hurrah and hopefully win him an Oscar, which he would go on to do with this. Mm-hmm. So it's, an, it's interesting watching On Golden Pond knowing their real life and yeah. how what you're seeing in the movie is very similar to what they were going through prior to the movie being made and during. Mm-hmm. Because I think I read they kind of came together at some point during the filming and then he would go on to pass not too long after. Yeah. So this movie kind of uh, is a little bit of a, I don't know what the word is, like a finale. In kind their, of like full circle. Yeah. It's a full circle. So film. They, they finally came together in their personal lives yeah. through this movie. And you can, I think you can see that on screen. Yeah. Um, I, okay, so I, we'll talk about, obviously, Atlantic City here when we get to Susan Sarandon. But I rewatched to or revisited uh, Atlantic City last night yeah. uh, to get ready for today. And I was reading that I, a lot of people thought Burt Lancaster would have won that Academy Award, but Fonda's campaign for her dad was so aggressive. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see how she played the game in the film here and then obviously post regarding her performance though. Um, I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this is my favorite Jane Fonda performance though. Right. I agree with you. I, I think it, it works for what she needs to do, but I don't think it's anything special. I think we've seen Jane do way better and I think we've seen her do way worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I can live with the nomination. Yeah. I'm fine with the nomination. I have nothing against it, but it is mm-hmm. one of those performances where I watch it and I never really forget that I'm watching Jane Fonda. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's her and her father. Yeah. And um, this... It almost feels like a documentary. In a way. Like, they're definitely... I mean, obviously they're playing characters, but there's a lot of parallels going on mm-hmm. between the movie world and the real world. Yeah. And that's really interesting to watch, but performance-wise, I'm... It's one of those performances where I'm very aware that I'm watching... The actors. Yeah. Particularly the Fondas. Yeah. It, you know, we've talked about some performances, at least I have, um, where I feel like you lose the idea that you're watching somebody. Yeah. Like Diana Ross for Lady Sings of Blues, for an example. Bette I feel Midler like and Bette Midler in the Rose. Um, Penelope Milford mm-hmm. in Coming Home. Um, you know, those are performances where you forget that you're watching a performance. Yeah. Fonda here is really acting for the camera. Mm. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Instead of trying to sell me that she's not acting for the camera. It almost kind of reminds me of stage acting in a way. Because no matter who you are when you're on stage, you're stage acting. Sure. Because you, you're doing it live and you're, you've got that like feel off the audience. I kind of feel like she's doing that here. Yeah. she's. I get the impression that she was very aware yeah. of what's going on. And I think that's yeah. probably because this movie's so personal to her. Yeah. In a different way than Coming Home was personal. It's yeah. two very different movies, two very different performances and motivations for making them. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, you can tell there. this is a passion project for her. Yeah. But not exactly for her, for her father. Right. And it's funny because this is her only supporting actress nomination. Yeah, that's right. She should have had one a couple years ago for Youth. Did you end up seeing Youth? I didn't see Youth. So Youth was so great. That's the Michael Caine? Yes. Yes. I wish that she had won 
all the awards, including the Oscar for youth, because that was a fucking phenomenal performance. And that is a performance where it's a supporting role where you forget that she's acting because mm-hmm. she's so good compared to this supporting performance where, like I said, we've already said it's kind of like we know she's acting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Anything else on Jane Fonda? No, I'm good. All right. Going into the next nominee, we had Joan Hackett, the late Joan Hackett. Um, playing Toby Landau. This is her sole nomination. And going into Oscar night, she actually won the Golden Globe for Supporting Actress. Um, for, she, oh, by the way, she, her movie is Only When I Laugh. I forgot to mention that. Right. So in Only When I Laugh, Joan um, plays the best friend to Marsha Mason's character. And she is kind of like the bedrock to her character. Um, there's a trio of friends. It's Joan Hackett, James Coco, Marsha Mason. And they're, um, Joan Hackett kind of plays a rich socialite in New York who is in a way, not, I wouldn't say financially supporting, but supporting her friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's kind of the one that is like, listen, bitch, get your shit together or you're going to lose everything. Mm-hmm. And then once Marsha Mason's character kind of falls back down a familiar circle, Joan is still there no matter what to pick up, you know, the pieces and to help her, but she gives her the kick in the ass that she needs. So what yeah. do you think about Joan Hackett as Toby? I love her in this. Uh, I thought she was so funny. She's delightful. Speaking of stage acting, mm-hmm. this is a very theatrical performance that works yes like i totally buy joan hackett as this larger than life socialite and she puts on this sort of air she has a very unique way of speaking and carrying herself it it kind of has this impression of like that old hollywood acting yeah like when you watch a movie from like the 40s or the 50s and the Mm -hmm. actresses have this very not realistic way of mm-hmm. speaking and using their hands and their bodies and putting them whole their whole selves into it Mm -hmm. But she makes it work because of who her character is. Mm. And she's hilarious. I agree. I love her in this. Um, I think everything is amazing from her delivery of her lines to the embrace. She is the embodiment of like the 80s style. Mm. Like she's got that really awful gaudy penthouse apartment, which is honestly gorgeous in my opinion. Yeah. It's just so clashy and just it's, it's awesome. Her clothes, too. The clothes, the makeup. There's this one scene where you can tell the bitch got into the blush. Yeah. Like, she's just painted. She invented gods. blush. <laughs> <laughs> she invented blush. That is perfect. Um, and even, okay, I, I will say, like, I smoked for 10 years. I smoked cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm almost to my year point Ooh, of not smoking. But, like, even as a smoker, I couldn't stand when there was a smoker in the car who wouldn't put down the window. Oh, and yeah. Marsha Mason in this film, when in the beginning when we get introduced to Toby, she picks Marsha Mason up from the, what is it, like Insane Asylum it, pretty much? Well, it's like a rehab, rehab facility. Yeah, rehab facility. Because she's a, a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. And fucking Marsha is just puffing away on Marlboro Reds with mm-hmm. all the windows up. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, nope, no thank you. Um, but Joan's just like, bitch, you do you. And I like it. I like her in this a lot. Yeah, I do too. I like I like that she's she's not exactly she's not an enabler for her friend. Yeah. Because we'll get to Marsha Mason later, but like you implied, she has a moment where she kind of falls off the wagon, let's say. Yeah. Um, and Joan's not gonna let her get away with it. Yeah. And Marsha's trying to hide from her daughter, yeah. what she's going through. And she shows up. Christy at, McNichol is so good at yes. this too. Yeah. And Marsha show, uh, shows up at Joan. I can't remember Joan's character's name. Toby. Toby. She shows up at Toby's apartment at like two in the morning. Yeah. And Toby calls her daughter and Marsha doesn't want her to know. And she's like, oh, here's the phone. It's already ringing. Were there moments? Okay. I spent years trying to track this movie down. I saw it maybe about two years ago for the first time, maybe a year ago. And I finally found it through streaming on Vudu. Because mm-hmm. it's impossible to find on DVD or on VHS even. Um, and I remember watching it for the first time and thinking at those moments that, that someone was jumping off her balcony. 
like whether it was Marsha or Toby, it just, I don't know, the way it was shot, it just was like, someone's jumping. Did you get that at all? No, I didn't I didn't think that anyone was going to okay. leap. Can we talk really quick, though? James Coco in this movie? I love him. Uh, how did he get a Razzie nomination for this? I don't know. Like, I went into it knowing that he got both. He yes. got the Oscar and the Razzie, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Thinking, I, I was watching it, with thinking about that in mind, uh-huh. trying to figure out why. Yeah. I think he's amazing. He's in so this. good in this. I don't think he's bad whatsoever. Yeah. Maybe it's homophobia because he is very flamboyant, let's say. Yeah. And I think we've, I've talked about that briefly on an episode before. I think with the Amy Irving. Oh yeah. With the Amy Irving. She's thing. the other yeah. person who got both yeah. nominations. And oh yeah. Because we've recorded 1984 before We already, we already recorded yeah. Yentl before this. So we talked about it a little bit, but yeah, I don't think he's bad at all. I, yeah. the only thing I can think of is he was maybe just a little bit too much for some people mm-hmm. and they decided to throw a Razzie at him because he couldn't contain himself, whatever that means. But he's great. But he's wonderful. Yeah. This, this is probably my favorite Neil Simon film. I was going to say that. Yeah. When we got to Martian Mason, I was going to say that. Oh, we'll beat you to it. Well, that's okay. <laughs> All right, you want to move on before yeah. we talk too much and can't talk enough about Russia? Right. All right. So moving on, we had Elizabeth McGovern as Evelyn Nesbitt in Ragtime. Um, this is her sole nomination so far. And going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Um, Ragtime is a forgotten Milos Forman gem. Everyone thinks of the musical. Yes. Most people don't realize there was a movie. Yes. And in, in, in the film, um, again, she plays Evelyn Nesbitt. Um, Evelyn is kind of like... I want to say she's kind of like the Paris Hilton of that time. Mm. She's kind of scandalous. She's got a husband who becomes a murderer. Yeah. Um, she Who murders someone in, like, public. At Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah. Who, she just kind of plays like a ditzy, but smartly ditzy, but dumb socialite. Yeah. Um, because there's a point where she's like, all right, I'll help you out for all this money. And then she gets, like, what, $10,000? I think it's 50000 Yeah. Which is was still a lot, but I think she was going right. for a million. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about her in, as Evelyn in rec time? I like her in it. Um, that scene where, so she's trying to like scam her way to get this million dollars. Yeah. Cause her husband is, uh, from her husband who's, they're divorcing or he's going to jail he, for the murder. Yeah. He's, he's on trial for the murder of that dude. And she's trying to get his money. Right. And then she starts a brief affair and that's how they get her to, or they, that's how they prevent her from getting the full... Yeah, because Brad Durf is the one that she goes into yes. a relationship with. Yeah, and when that happens, these guys burst in, and she's, like, naked. Yeah. And she's, like, doing this entire scene topless, and she doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And she's, like, using her boobs almost as, like, a weapon. Yes. Because she's just owning her nudity, uh-huh. making all these men uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was amazing. So you go, Elizabeth. Same, same. So obviously we're like totally gay. So we're not, I mean, I I can't speak for you, but I'm not sexually attracted to boobs. Me neither. And it's funny because I'm like, all I can watch are her boobs in this because she uses them to her advantage. They're like, they become like a prop in a way. Yeah. Because this movie takes like in the 1910, it's like 1912, something like that. And so. Somewhere around the Titanic. Yeah. And so this is very unusual Mm -hmm. for her to just be naked. She would have she been like classified as a Jezebel. Yeah. And mm-hmm. these guys do just kind of barge in yeah. because they try to, they're catching her in the act mm-hmm. so that she can be, um, not so, so that they can use her adultery, so to speak against her so that she yeah. can't get her husband's money. Yeah. And that was the funny thing. Like this was probably the, I mean, I've seen ragtime before. I don't know if this, this was, was my first time. time. Okay. So did you like the movie as a whole? Not really. I thought okay. it was okay. 
because I really like ragtime. I, I I think like for me, which was really weird, that Mary Steenburgen got a lead actress Golden Globe nomination. For I didn't this. know she was in this till I was watching it. Yeah, I think like her section of the film is this is kind of like the '80s version of Nashville in a way because there's so mm. much going on. It's like a there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters. It's an ensemble piece. That's it's, what I mean by it's like it's the also '80s version of Nashville. It's yeah, it's really it's really long. Yeah. Um, but Howard Rollins is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Um, I would honestly really not know who to choose if we're talking supporting actors really quick between Coco and Rollins because I think they're both fucking fantastic. And two very different performances. And two very different movies. Very much so. Um, And anyway, uh, I think Ragtime's great. I'd never get bored during Ragtime. Mm -hmm. And so this is my second time watching Ragtime since I had seen it the first time. I enjoyed it. I I enjoy it every time I watch this movie. Now, McGovern, in general, like I said, I'm not attracted to boobs. Couldn't stop watching her boobs in this scene. I think mm-hmm. she's great. I think when she first comes on on screen, like her line delivery is a little off, but mm-hmm. then you realize that's her character. Yeah. So it's not her acting. I'm honestly surprised too. Like she was, this was I think her second movie because we had talked about her in a little bit 1980 with Ordinary People. Oh. She was in that very briefly, and then um, yeah, she was nominated the following year for this. I think it's I think it's a great nomination. Yeah, I I had the same impression that you did when she first came on. It's very. I don't want to say artificial, but this is a character who seems to be very aware of what her place in society is. Yeah. And she uses her body and her voice to get what she wants. Yeah. So it it wasn't until later on in the movie that I realized, oh, this is all very conscious Mm -hmm. on the part of Elizabeth McGovern and of the character herself. Yeah. So that layer was a really interesting thing to realize as the movie was unfolding. Yeah, and the one thing I will say that's definitely not her fault, I think it's definitely the writing and directing here, was that her character is such a prominent part in like the first hour 45. Right, so the first half of the movie, I was like, is this category fraud? And then about halfway through... She just disappears. She falls. She comes back a, a couple For a times. scene at the beach. For, at the beach, and then at the very end, during the, there's a dance. Yeah. Number. But the first half of the movie, I was like, is she really supporting in this? But yeah. But yeah, after halfway, she's mostly gone. Because this movie's almost three hours long. Yeah. So, yeah, about one, uh, she's in it for like a solid amount of time and then just disappears and that's so, why too the mary steenburgen nomination is weird because steenburgen's role is way smaller she's sprinkled throughout yes whereas elizabeth mcgovern has a huge chunk of the beginning yeah but after that huge chunk i was like okay she fits in supporting but the beginning i was like i don't know about this well the other thing too is that i would also kind of not to bark back to nashville for a second but when i mentioned in 75 that i kind of can I, I agree with ronnie blakely's placing of supporting but i would also argue that her character is the lead but again this is an ensemble piece so just yeah. like nashville i think when you're in an ensemble piece everyone is supporting yeah so there can be a centralizing character like ronnie blakely i'd say in nashville mm-hmm. like you remove that character and a lot of these other characters aren't connected right so i think that's kind of where you're coming from mm-hmm. and maybe in a way elizabeth mcgovern's character has that going for her mm-hmm. but um but yeah i'm totally cool with her being in supporting Dang. considering the entire movie the yeah. first half she's in so much of the movie yeah but yeah the movie as a whole she's definitely supporting Agreed. it's an ensemble Shall I move on? Yep. All right. So our final nominee that year was the winner, Maureen Stapleton, as Emma Goldman in Reds. Speaking of long movies. Right. Um, this is her fourth of four nominations. So this was the one that finally got her the gold. Um, going into no- going into nomination, going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress, a New York Film Critics Association nomination for Best Supporting Actress, and two wins from the LA Film Critics and the National Society of Film Critics for Best Supporting Actress. Um, in the big epic that is Reds, mm-hmm. um, Maureen Stapleton plays, again, Emma Goldman, who is kind of like a suffragette. S- suff- suff- suffragette? Wait. Suffragette? Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you. I was really struggling with that for a second. Um, f- during the American Revolution for women's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is a role. I'm going to let you start clearly off of this, but I guess to describe sure. this, this is a role that doesn't have anything to do until the end, really. Her bigger moments are toward the end. Yeah, she's in maybe a scene or two in the beginning. Yeah, she's only in a few scenes of this movie. Yeah, but like her, but her character is super important to the yes. movie, though. That's the thing. I guess yeah. that's how I'm trying to describe it. She's barely in the movie, but her character is kind of the glue that keeps yeah. um, uh, Warren Beatty's character going throughout this entire thing. Yeah. So start us off. So I actually liked Reds quite a bit. Mm-hmm. This was my first time watching it since I saw it the first time, like back in high school. Okay. I remember liking it a lot back then. This is one of those rare three plus hour movies where I feel completely engaged throughout okay. the entire thing. I like a lot of the characters in this. Mm-hmm. I think, of course, we're talking about Maureen right now, but Diane Keaton, Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, I think they're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's some of the best work all of them have ever done. I also think the movie is incredibly well paced for being three hours long. And... Maureen Stapleton, she's in very little this movie, especially considering that it's three hours. Mm-hmm. But she has a super strong impression whenever she is in a scene. And like you were saying, she is a very important figure in this movie, also just in history. Because she's playing Emma Goldman, who was a huge activist at the time. Yeah. And she was like one of the most influential and dangerous women of the time. Because like the most powerful countries in the world like feared her in a way. Yeah. Because she was trying to basically change the way countries were run. Right. And um, I think Maureen's great. She has, like, a real centeredness about her. Like, whenever she's on screen, she feels like she's in control. Mm-hmm. Or all the other characters are, like, trembling around her. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel that, at least. I don't know if you do. But I think Maureen Stapleton is doing wonderful work in this. So, I'm going to be very opposite here. Yeah. I don't like Reds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, for me, one of those movies that is horribly paced. I found myself so many times pausing it to do other things because I just it didn't keep me enthralled. Um, I think Maureen Stapleton is the best thing about the movie. I don't like Keaton in this. I don't like Beatty in this. I don't like Nicholson in this. And it's very hard for me to not like Nicholson in something. I think people make this role to be bigger than it actually is. I mm-hmm. think people make this role to be more important than it actually is. Um, and that's, again, coming from someone who thinks that she's the best thing of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when you're in such an epic like this, I don't care if it's this or Lawrence of Arabia or Cleopatra or what's the most recent epic. Well, let's, I mean, I can t- kind of consider the tree of life an epic with the way that it is. You can say the Lord of the Rings movies. Lord of the epics. Rings. Yeah. Okay. Lord of the Rings is perfect. Let's take Lord of the Rings. Liv Tyler as Arwen is what I would compare the role size to Emma Goldman mm-hmm. in Reds. Only for Liv Tyler, she actually leaves an impression with me. She's got she's got very little to do, but she does it well. Now, I'm not saying Maureen Simple doesn't do it well. I'm just saying I th- don't think she utilized the time that she had. Mm. Does that make sense? Maybe. I think she did. I think if she would have been any bigger, it would have been insincere. I can't pinpoint the moment, though, where I would have been as a voter with this lineup would have been like, that's where I, why I'm voting for her. I can see the nomination mm-hmm. with that ending, with, like I said, with the ending scene. But I can't be like, yep, out of everyone in this lineup, yeah. that's who I'm voting for. I I don't know. I don't like Reds. Yeah. I, I can't get into I it. Like it. I like it. I didn't take breaks. I actually watched the entire thing straight through. Was it just you or you and Seth? It was just me. Okay. But yeah, I turned it on... Uh, 
revisiting it for the first time in like 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. And I found myself just finishing it. Oh. Like I just went straight through. For some reason, I really dig this movie and I usually avoid long movies. No. But yeah, I like um, Maureen Stapleton in this, especially like that last scene with her and Warren Beatty mm -hmm. where they're arguing about like the state of the world and how everything needs to change and how it's probably never going to and all this stuff. Yeah. I really dig that. Um, yeah, I think her, for what, for what little screen time she has, she does leave an impression. And I think if she had be, been any more like powerhouse, it would have ranked false. I know this is probably going to sound really, really weird and I don't mean to put you on the spot. Um, but the most memorable thing, my ass is like really numb right now. Sorry. Um, okay. Okay. This is the chair. Um, is it kind of has one of my favorite sex scenes in a movie without even really showing anything. Oh, okay. Um, obviously there's that moment with Beatty hitting it from the back with mm -hmm. Keaton, but also too, and this way I don't mean to put you on the spot. I don't know when you and Seth are at it, if you have Zhivago in the room or if he's out of the room, but that I think we've all been to that place. I know I have when I had my dog. I mean, I really didn't give a fuck it was a dog. But like where the dog is scratching at the door, and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, we've been there. We've all oh, we've yeah. all had that moment. That's why I was like, I don't mean to put you on the yeah. blast there. Um, because I, that's why I would just keep my dog in the room because mm -hmm. it would just be like that the whole time. But I was like, oh, this is like a really relatable sex scene right yeah. now. So um, that's pretty much the most memorable thing about Reds for me is the fucking sex scene. Okay. And it's so small. Uh -huh. Like, it's such a small thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, Reds just doesn't do it for me. That's okay. I can't get into it. Yeah. So um, do you have anything else? Um, not at the moment. Okay. Shall we move on? Sure. Oh, so we're on our lead. I thought we had one more. No, yeah, uh, Melinda, Jane, Joan, Elizabeth, and Maureen. Okay. Yeah. So your uh, nominations for lead actress from 1981 were... Catherine Hepburn for On Golden Pond. <laughs> Diane Keaton for Reds. Marsha Mason, for only when I laugh. Susan Sarandon, for Atlantic City. Meryl Streep, for The Friends Retained Woman. Okay, so let's start with our winner for the year. That's Katherine Hepburn for On Golden Pond. This is her fourth of four wins and her 12th of 12 nominations. Jesus. So, here's everything that she has been nominated for up to now. Okay, for those, literally, <laughs> he, he just grabbed his notebook and, like, stood it up like he had this huge fucking, like, line it's of shit. It's taking up almost the entire page. Oh, my God, it is. She's okay, I'm ready. Okay. So, <laughs> the movies that she won for. She won for Morning Glory in 1933, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in 1967, and The Lion in Winter for 1968, tying with Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. Mm -hmm. Those are her wins. She was also nominated for Alice Adams in 1935, The Philadelphia Story in 1940, Woman of the Year in 1942, The African Queen in 1951, Summertime in 1955, The Rainmaker in 1956, Suddenly Last Summer in 1959, and Long Day's Journey into Night in 1962. Her, la <laughs> her last three wins were her last three nominations. That's awesome. And her first win was her first nomination. So just a little interesting thing about that. All of her nominations with no wins were in between all those. Yeah. So um, going into this, she didn't win anything. She did go on to win the BAFTA the next year, mm -hmm. but she was nominated for the Golden Globe for drama. Henry Fonda was more so the awards darling for this yeah. movie. 
So in On Golden Pond, Catherine Hepburn plays Ethel Thayer. She and her husband Norman, that's Henry Fonda, have a summer cottage, and Ethel and Norman's somewhat estranged daughter Chelsea, played by Jane Fonda, drops off her soon-to-be stepson for Ethel and Norman to watch while um, Chelsea and her fiancé go off to Europe. And um, things get a little bit difficult when Chelsea returns and realizes that her parents have developed a bond with her stepson that she never really had. Mm -hmm. And uh, family drama ensues. So thoughts on Catherine Hepburn and On Golden Pond? Um, I like her in this. I wouldn't say I love her in this. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say I dislike her in this. Sure. I think... I, I feel like I can speak for most people that when they think of Katherine Hepburn in On Golden Pond, it's her big, in a way we go, go, go. Like the big speech he has to Henry yeah. Fonda there. Um, Is that the um, Knight in Shining the Armor The Knight in Shining Armor yeah. speech where she's like, we'll get on that horse in a way we'll go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's kind of the only thing that sticks out for me for this. That's why I say I don't dislike it, I don't love it, but I like it. Because mm -hmm. I think that monologue she gives is great acting. Yeah. Um, if anyone in this movie, because we kind of talked about Henry Fonda a little bit and Jane Fonda, makes me forget that I'm actually watching a movie, mm -hmm. it's Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. And that's just Catherine Hepburn for That you. might also be because this movie was not quite as personal to her as it yeah. was for the Fondas. Yeah. Especially Jane. Right, right. So, I mean, I, I like her a lot in this. Um, let me rephrase that. I like her in this, but I don't love her in this. Sure. So. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, the thing that I think of, and I think about it almost daily at work, because we have this journal. Or no, it's not a journal. It's a book of postcards. And it's like, and I think the title is canoes and loons and so i think of the loons that like Stop Catherine it. hepburn thing you know what I, you know that scene i'm talking <laughs> yes. about where she's like screaming the loons the loons yes. and so whenever i see that book of postcards i'm like oh and i think of that moment from the movie so I'm, i think of on golden pond weekly at work so um that's what i think of um <laughs> the, the loons I, right and the phrase i was actually just talking to uh to jim about this mm -hmm. um before you got here jim's our Studio guy, for those of you who don't know. Um, Whiskey he, Congress is a podcast. Yes, Go listen. Yeah, so we're in the Whiskey Congress studios, and this is his studio. Mm -hmm. And um, he, when he asked me who won in 1981, I told him Catherine Hepburn from Golden Pond. He was like, the phrase son of a bitch gets used a lot in that movie. And then I was thinking about it, and I was like, that's true. Yeah. Henry Fonda refers to himself as a son of, son of a bitch. Right the before. gas guy is a son of a bitch. Yeah, and yeah. then there's the moment where Jane Fonda, she's watching her father and her stepson. She calls him a son of she's a bitch. She's like, why did that son of a bitch never like me? And Catherine Hepburn slaps her, and she's like, that son of a bitch is my husband. So yeah, the phrase son of a bitch does get used a lot. Yeah, um... I, I agree. I, I, I honestly didn't think about that until you just... Well, I didn't think of it until Jim said it, and I was like, wow, you're right. Good thing Jim is joining us for the Silence of the Lambs episode, yeah. because he'll be able to bring up this random shit. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll forget he's, about it. He's good for the random shit. Yeah, season three will be fun. I can't wait to get to the 90s. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a good I think it's a good farewell nomination, because this was sure. Hepburn's last. Also, have I ever done my Catherine Hepburn impression for you? I don't think so. Okay, I don't know if it'll be any good anymore, because I haven't done it in a minute. But I was once waiting tables at this place in Brooklyn called Rockney's, and this woman came in who talked exactly like he Catherine Hepburn, and she did the whole like head-bobbing thing, too, and she goes... Do you have the Mountain Dew? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that actually sounds, but... I, I hear it. Right, right. Yeah. So, like, ever since then, if someone's like, can you do any impressions? I'll just say, do you have the Mountain Dew? And do, that's my Catherine Hepburn impression. I I'm really hope Catherine Hepburn drank Mountain Dew. I do, too. A um, couple things about fun trivia facts about this. Um, when 
Fonda was when Jane Fonda was doing um, press for youth when some, there was, there's a great interview where she talks about her Oscar nominations and the guy's like you could be getting your third for this one and she goes it, she starts talking about Clute and coming home and then on Golden Pond and she goes you know when I was up for Golden Pond she said she referred to Catherine Hepburn as Miss Hepburn Miss mm-hmm. Hepburn w- said um, or she she had won her fourth. If I would have won, I would have won her third. Had she not won, we would have been tied. Yes. And so she goes, when she saw Miss Hepburn the day after the Academy Awards, because Catherine Hepburn famously never showed up, right. Catherine Hepburn says, you'll never catch me now. <laughs> and Jane, that might actually have been a little bit better than the Mountain Dew thing, you know what I'm thinking about? It, I don't know. Um, but uh, Jane was like, I never knew what she was saying until way later on in life. She had won four. Yep. I had two. I was never going to catch her. Um, and to this day, Catherine Hepburn still is the only actor to ever get four. Mm-hmm. I'm, literally, I'm waiting for Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep will tie her. Will, right. She will right. tie her. But when Meryl ties her, one of hers will be for supporting. All of Catherine's were for lead. Yes. So it's a little bit of a distinction. Same number of trophies. Yes. And of course, they all count. Yeah. But it is a slight distinction. Um, I would like to side note this like a little bit. I was thinking about this day in the shower um, because, you know, and we were just talking about Reds. Jack Nicholson, you know, hasn't acted in a movie since 2010. Mm. And he was supposed to do, I think it's like the Tony Erdman yes, remake, so, but yeah. he dropped out. Yeah. So now, unless Michael Caine has a film coming out this year that'll get nominated for an Oscar, him and Jack Nicholson would have been the only, well, one of the only two people to ever be nominated for Academy Awards in five consecutive decades. Meryl oh. Streep will be nominated again. She'll be sure. the first one to be, ever have that distinction. Interesting. But yeah, so Jack and Michael Caine, just because we're obviously youth and then yeah. Reds, just, yeah, I was thinking about that today. Oh, I didn't realize But yeah, that. Catherine Hepburn still has the only person ever be, or ever to win with, or four. Deanna Day-Lewis, Meryl Streep, uh, Jack Nicholson have three. Right. So one of them, unless they, you know, do something else, they could tie. Yeah, I'm sure Daniel Day-Lewis would come back at some point. Claims he's retired. I don't completely buy it. I don't know. In 10 years, someone will pull him out of retirement. I don't know. After Phantom Thread, I kind of just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just me, though. Right. All right, moving on. We sure. got so sidetracked there. That's okay. So our next one is Diane Keaton in uh-huh. Reds. This is her second of four nominations, having just won in 1977 for Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, going into this, she didn't win any precursors, but she was up for several. She was nominated for the Golden Globe for Drama, the Los Angeles Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Circle, and she would go on to get a BAFTA nomination the next year. In Reds, she plays Louise Bryant, who will eventually become a very important writer, activist, and feminist icon. She becomes involved with a journalist named Jack Reed, who's played by Warren Beatty, who's covering the communist revolution in Russia. Uh, Distance grows between uh, Louise and Jack as Jack is off covering European affairs, and uh, Louise starts to have an affair of her own with Eugene O'Neill, the playwright, played by Jack Nicholson. And um, things get a little bit tricky as the political situation in the world gets increasingly tricky. So thoughts on Diane Keaton and Reds? I kind of wish I didn't talk about her a little bit already when we talk more in Stapleton. But yeah, I don't like her in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if this is mean, but I don't really care. I kind of wish we got a stronger actress for this role. Mm. Um, I, you know, we talked about her in her Indian Hall year with how great she was in Good Bar. Right. And that's the level of drama that we know that Diane Keaton can get to. This, I feel like she was phoning it in. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. Um, there's not a moment that she like really grasped me. There wasn't a moment that I really felt connected to her character and her character's got a lot to do. You could have done a lot with that role. Um, 
Yeah, I forgot how prominent she was until I was rewatching it. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't like this one. Mm-hmm. I do. I This character really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. I really kind of understand what she's going through in a way, with the writing particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that sort of mental struggle that she's going through and wanting to be better and not really knowing how and it eventually clicking. Also being around other people who are discounting you all the time. Like that, I think it's Maureen Stapleton's first scene when they're in that bar. And, <laughs> yes. And Maureen's like, oh, who's this? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. who are you? And Diane just kind of like buries into herself and she doesn't know what to do yeah. or how to respond. But then it lights a fire in her and she's kind of struggling throughout the entire movie trying to find her place in the world and try mm-hmm. to understand who she is and what makes her important. And I get that. Yeah. So I was really jibing with this character throughout the movie. And I was, and I, yeah, I was surprised, like you were saying, how much she has to do because it had been so long since I had seen this. And I was like, oh, it's Warren Beatty for three hours. Yeah. And she's in a lot of this. Even without Warren Beatty, she has like whole scenes yeah. without him. She has her own like storyline and arc and she has completely her own agency outside of him. So, yeah, I really dig her in this. I like her work with Jack Nicholson, those scenes when they're having their affair and when they're trying to figure out what they are. Because there for a while, it makes it would make sense if she would have been with Eugene O'Neill instead. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Warren Beatty and his importance that's keeping her with him. Yeah. It's funny, too, because you could... I mean, you wouldn't want to if you enjoy this movie, but you could take her character out of this movie and it would honestly cut a solid hour worth of film. There was That's a, how important she is to this movie. There, there was a moment when I was, I think it was soon after I finished the movie, I was like, she could have been her own movie. Yeah. They could have made a Louise Bryant movie. Um, can I just say too, I don't know, unless the dick is that good and it's got my legs shaking after you fuck me, I am not traveling across a fucking barren tundra for some dude. Like, no, that dick better like come with like a check afterwards because there is no way I'm doing what that bitch did. Right, because she, well, she could have never come home. Like right. Maureen, like Maureen Stapleton actually sets that up right. like in the scene before where she's talking to Warren Beatty and she's like, if Louise comes here, she can never return to America. And then Warren's like, oh shit, I'm never going to see her again. And then there she is. And I was like, Girl, Would you do it? Not for Warren Beatty. Seth. Sure. I mean, that's love though. Yeah. But that's also like what I mean. Like I'm also, I'm also like a hoe who loves money more than dick. So like mm-hmm. if I'm going to be like, you know what I mean? You better yeah. be paying me and that dick better be really fucking good. Yeah. You're more of the romantic of well, between us two for that. We also couldn't be in Russia. <laughs> Yeah, that's so that, that's thing. an entirely that's an entire new layer that's to a, that to that thing. conflict. But um, but yeah, I I really dig her performance in this. Um, it's another one where I think it's okay how small and subtle she is. It's like with Maureen Stapleton. If she had been any bigger, it would have been a little phony for me. Yeah. So I think it works what she's doing. Here. You never texted me back either because I texted what? you. Have you ever seen Warren Beatty's nude photo oh, from no. the sixties? I don't think so. <sighs> I'm going to show that to you okay. when we're done here. Okay. Actually, fuck. I'm going to bring it up now. Okay. Um, we're going to do this live. We're going to do this live. If you ever get a chance, there's an actual photo. There's a photo of Warren Beatty nude. There's a photo of Marlon Brando sucking Wally Cox's dick as well on oh, the internet okay. that are like been proven to be legit. Um, but, I mean, I understand why this dude had so many women after his ass. I mean, he's a handsome guy. He's, I just He's just not an actor that I gravitate toward. He's another one of those people where I feel like I'm watching. I'm very aware that I'm watching Warren Beatty. Like, I think I said that in Shampoo and Kevin Can Wait. Yeah. He's just one of those actors for me where I'm, if I'm going to watch a Warren Beatty movie, I'm very aware that it's Warren Beatty. 
Okay. Right. Not bad. Yeah. For being flaccid, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that for? Is that a... I don't know. If you just Google image Warren Beatty nude, there's also like a color version, but you can clearly tell that it's uh, someone just colorized it. Yeah. But that's early... Like, oh, that's got to be like late 60s, yeah, that's 1960s like, Warren Beatty. It's like near the Bonnie and Clyde era. Yeah. That's it's like definitely, pre-shampoo. Yes. That's a great way. Yeah. It's definitely Bonnie and Clyde era. But um, but yeah. And then... Yeah. So I texted you that. I never heard back from him. I was like, this bitch, I'll just bring it up when... Uh, when uh, um, we do this episode. But yeah, it's a great photo for mm-hmm. any of you who want to check it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all I got to say on Diane Keaton. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't have anything else to say. More, more will come out with rankings. Mm-hmm. So we can move on now to Marsha Mason for Only When I Laugh. This is her fourth of four nominations, uh, previously up for Cinderella Liberty in 1973, The Goodbye Girl in 77, and Chapter 2 in 79. And she didn't really get any precursors going into this. And um, she plays Georgina Hayes, Hines, a boozed-up Broadway star. She has just checked out of a three-month rehab stint, and she now has to struggle with balancing her personal life with her fears of returning to the stage and also all the personal lives of everyone around her, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a Neil Simon comedy. So thoughts on Marsha Mason in Only When I Laugh. So this is definitely my favorite of the Marsha Mason nominations um which is saying something because i really and i mentioned this when we did the gold or with the golden girls when we did the goodbye girl um is i really like her in goodbye girl yeah. but this is really good for marcia mason i think this is um this is kind of i think marcia mason's got Marley, I mean, I hate to say this, but three forgotten nominations. Nobody yes. remembers Cinderella Liberty. Nobody remembers Chapter 2. There's a reason for that. Right. But nobody remembers this one. She's really only known when it comes to her nominations goodbye for girl. The Goodbye Girl. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because I think this is really good. Yeah. Um, she kind of takes me... I'm going to be bold here. She kind of takes me along the lines of how Olivia Coleman did in The Favorite. Oh. She's funny. She's heartbreaking. You feel for her. You want to slap her. You want to give her a hug. Yeah. She does the whole spectrum. If this movie were to come out today, I can guarantee that she would win an Oscar because this is what Academy voters eat up like dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I like her in this. I think all around, Only When I Laugh is a really good film and it boasts really good performances. Yeah, so... Marsha Mason's performance in Only When I, when I Laugh is also my favorite Marsha Mason performance. Nice! I've, like, if you've listened to our previous episodes, I've been more or less kind of lukewarm on Marsha Mason. I yeah. liked her in Goodbye Girl, but I wasn't really that wowed by her in Cinderella Liberty or Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. But Only When I only when I Laugh is a great performance from her. Yeah. Um, the whole cast is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably my favorite Neil Simon movie that I've seen. Twinsies. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a delightful little surprise, this, yeah. this movie. It was my first time watching it, of course, and I think she's hilarious. It's showy in a way that totally works because mm-hmm. she's playing a Broadway star. Yeah. And it makes sense that she would be a little bit, I'm trying to think of a different word for showy, but that she wouldn't be quite as... Over the top? She's not quite over the top. You know, she's not subtle exactly. Okay. In a way that like Diane Keaton is. I'm trying to find you the word that you're looking for. Yeah, it'll come to me. But her... Um, it's, it's working for her, what she's doing here. Did you and have to stream this? How did you find this? The library. Did you? Yeah. The Where? Cleveland Public Library. Dude, I've literally f- searched databases and was like, nothing happens. I had a, I got it on Vudu. I think I told you. I got yeah. to stream it on Vudu. The Cleveland Public Library has it on DVD. <sighs> Damn it. I got to find it. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't rewatch it for this just because it's such, mm-hmm. a, it's got good memory in my mind yeah, for yeah. this one. But now I'm kind of pissed. 
Yeah. <laughs> I want the I want the hard copy. I think she's all she's really great in her drunk scenes. Yeah. When she, she plays a drunk like Susan Terrell plays a drunk really yeah, well. Like, um, so she's a recovering addict. Yeah. And she has a moment where she falls off that and she gets a little tipsy. Mm-hmm. And she plays it so fluidly. I completely bought that she was drunk. Maybe she was. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Method also, acting. Also, she is so smooth in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene where um, the James Coco character forgets that she's in recovery and hands her a flute. Of, I think it's a flute of champagne. Yeah. And she like seamlessly takes it and drinks. And it takes a minute for everyone else in the scene to realize that this is not okay. And me as an audience member, I forgot. You gasp. Like I forgot that she's not allowed to drink. Yeah. Because Marsha Mason takes it like there's no no big deal. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And then she drinks it, and then I had I I didn't react. I, I think it's James Coco who reacts first in the scene. He has a big like and then shit it. moment, and yep. then I was like, "What's everyone freaking out about?" <laughs> oh my god, she's not supposed to drink. Yeah. And she's so natural in this movie. Yeah, it's good. It's a really good nomination. Yeah, this is a really good uh, performance from her. It's my favorite Mar- Marsha Mason role. Yeah, it's almost sad though because I feel like. It took so long to get to her best nomination, mm-hmm. and then nothing ever Th- this again. This is her last nomination as yeah. of now. She's still with us, so it's possible. Yeah. That We've she seen could... her in Grace and Frankie, so I mean, she's on The Good Wife. She you plays a judge on The, the Good, Good Wife. Wife. If you were an Academy Award nominated actress in the seventies and eighties, you have an open invitation to be on <laughs> The Good Wife slash The Good Fight. Oh my God! Could you imagine a lineup with like, with? Jane Alexander and Marsha Mason and um, uh, Christine Lottie uh-huh. and who else? Christine Lottie's on the Good Wife. Oh my God! Let's just let's not even worry about the nominations. What if we added Christine Baranski into that? Uh-huh. And it was just like, who could be the fifth? Who would be the fifth one that would just like have gays heads explode for an Oscar? Yeah, with all with this so far. So we would have Mason, Lottie, Baranski, uh, Alexander. Uh-huh. Who would be the fifth one? For someone who's never won before? Yeah. Hmm. Someone from this era? Yeah. See, I want Brenda Vaccaro to come back, but I feel like she's she's someone that not everyone knows. You were a Brenda Vaccaro voter in our polls, weren't you? I did. One of them, yeah. <laughs> I voted for one, one of them. Okay. Oh, oh, what if we said, like, um, uh, Margaret Avery? Oh, sure. Oh, I mean, Margaret Avery is more like us, I feel like. I feel like Margaret Avery doesn't get as much respect. Let's just say Margaret Avery. Sure. That would be like a gay gasm mm-hmm. of all of that. The Oscar gays would lose. Yes, it. yes. Um, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, this is fun we're having. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying the other day, I think so. Marsha Mason and Marsha Gay Harden could very easily play mother and daughter, and I would buy that resemblance. Oh my God. I want them to be in a movie together, and I want Marsha to finally win her Oscar. I want her to have a real juicy role yeah, playing Marsha Gay Harden's batshit crazy mother. Mm-hmm. I would love it. Now I know, I know that she's so good in this role. But do you know who else I could have seen in this role? Who? Karen Black. Karen Black. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yeah, think about could've. how Karen Black like was. Like Karen yeah. Black could have done this role, and honestly, probably been just as good. Well, do you know who did play this role before Marsha Mason on Broadway? Karen Black. No. Madeline Kahn. No. <gasps> Wait, hold on. She's nominated in 1981. Susan Sarandon. Maureen Stapleton. No shit. Maureen Stapleton played this role on Broadway in 1971. Ten years before the movie. If anyone has a way to see footage of that, please add us on at Academy Queens on Twitter, because mm-hmm. I would love to see that. Yeah. Maureen Stapleton hmm. played the role on Broadway. I think she she 
I know she was nominated. I don't remember if she won, but she was nominated at least for a Tony. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't write it down, so I can't remember. Oh, but yeah, you fail. I did. But yeah, <laughs> dishonor to your cow, dishonor to your family. That's a Mulan quote. I'm not being racist. I swear okay. to fuck. <laughs> I swear to fuck. I just realized how that came off. That's from Mulan. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> Shut up. So. <laughs> Anything else on Marsha Mason? No. Okay. So we're getting so off track today. I love it. Susan Sarandon is our next nominee for uh-huh. Atlantic City. This is her first of five nominations. Uh-huh. And she only won the Kansas City Film Critics. Uh, what? Bert, yeah. That was pretty much it. Okay. Uh, Burt Lancaster was the awards darling for this movie. Like I said earlier. And Kate Reed. And I am mad that she was not nominated. I here. was going to bring that up. Yeah, Kate <laughs> yes. Reed is so fucking good in Atlantic City. Kim Stanley wanted that role. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Uh-huh. But, Kate uh, Reed is fantastic. Yeah, but Susan Sarandon's the one that pulled out the nomination. And in Atlantic City, she plays Sally, who came to Atlantic City in search of a life, uh, a better life, more or less. Mm-hmm. And she works as a waitress at an oyster bar and is in training to become a blackjack dealer. And she's neighbors with a man named Lou, who's the Burt Lancaster character. And he spies on her uh, through their windows at night. He's also an aging former gangster. And then one day, Sally's estranged husband shows up with a whole bunch of cocaine that he convinces Lou to help him deal. And uh, Sally's husband is murdered, and they get pulled into this crazy situation, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's in the middle of it all. Mm -hmm. So thoughts on Susan Sarandon? I love Atlantic City. I love this movie. This came out in 81, so this was up against Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I honestly don't know who I would have chosen for Best Picture, because honestly, my mm-hmm. heart's kind of with Atlantic City, but like, yeah. my mind is with Raiders. Um, I love this nomination. I think Susan is great in this role. Um, this honestly might be my favorite Susan Sarandon nomination. Of, oh, really? Yeah, of all of her nominations. Um what, what's funny to me is that she actually campaigned for supporting. Mm-hmm. And the Academy was like, no, bitch, use a lead. They did the right thing. Yeah, I think it, it'd be a problem if she were in supporting. Yeah. I think she's definitely the lead and Kate Reed is the supporting. Yes. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned Kate Reed, which is funny because I brought up the thing that you wanted to bring up. Yeah. But Kate Reed and Chris McNichol not being nominated for supporting actresses this year was a big what the fuck. Yeah. Um, that just shows you how strong the campaigning was mm-hmm. through from all these actresses. But since Sarandon, I think, is great in this. Um, she's funny. She's 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 real. Mm-hmm. And I I honestly would say this is probably, in my opinion, her best nomination. Yeah, this is such a good beginning nomination for her for the Academy. And honestly, it's my favorite of all of the ones she's got. I like her a lot in Atlantic City too. There's a real authenticity to this performance. Yes. It doesn't feel like a performance, yeah. but also doesn't feel like she's doing nothing. Right. Like, I believe that she's this character. Uh-huh. Susan Sarandon's another one of those actors that I'm kind of hot and cold on, depending on what I'm watching her in, mm-hmm. but I totally buy her in Atlantic City. Yeah. And I think this is also a really good first nomination for her. I think everything, all the Susan Sarandon-isms are working for her. <laughs> yes. This, um, I would say, this is great that this is her first nomination. It shouldn't, it should be her second though, because she should have gotten one for Rocky Horror Picture oh, Show. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, but this, I love it. This is, I've got no negatives about this one. This yeah. one's really good. Yeah, I like Atlantic City too. Yeah. Um, how would you think about Best Picture Wise though? Because this, by the way, this had like the big six nominations. It had picture, director, actor, actress, mm. original screenplay, so five. So this right. is what, this is one that has like Silence of the Lambs. I hate to say this, but American Hustle, 
Um, mm-hmm. It happened one night. Like, it's in that realm of getting all the big nominees. Right. Oh, one Flew with the Cuckoo's Nest. Sure. So, I think it's really good. It's a movie that grew on me. When I first watched it, I was like, that was okay. Yeah. But it was a movie that I kept thinking about. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of grown on me since watching it. All of like the social issues that are kind of subtly going on around the story mm-hmm. that I wasn't really thinking of actively while watching it. Yeah. Like all these stuff about this um, Atlantic City being this land of dreams that's also kind of a grungy place. And all this other... Yeah, you know, I mentioned when when we talk. Oh, um, when we talk about Gloria, I mentioned I love the grittiness mm-hmm. of New York at that time. I think this because I don't know if you've ever seen the King of Marvin Gardens no, with not, Ellen Burstyn and Jack Nicholson. I will soon. It is, um, I believe, Bob Rafelson also directed it. I could be wrong on that, but um, it, it shows Atlantic City kind of like in the early '70s during its heyday, and I love that this is like gritty Atlantic City. Right. But it's funny because that gritty Atlantic City is Atlantic City currently. Atlantic City I've never today been. is a dump. I've never been there. Wait, hold on, Betty Davis. What a dump. <laughs> I don't know if that was any good, but... You could also do <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor impre- doing an impression of Betty Davis. Say, what? In uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, that's right. One of the first lines of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is Elizabeth Taylor doing her impression of Betty Davis saying that line. What a dump. Um, can we just sign note that, really, because you just brought it up? Could you imagine a remake of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance? Mm. Oh, my God. That'd be Can wonderful. this be a fucking thing? Please. And then I would want the two youngins unknowns. Sure. Oh, well, we are getting Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf here on Broadway next season. Uh, we, with Laurie Metcalf, Yeah, right? Laurie Metcalf and Eddie Izzard. Yeah, uh, I mean, Catherine or Catherine, Kathleen Turner did it so yes. well on Broadway a couple years ago. I never, I didn't see and it. And I've seen like a video of her. I didn't yeah. get to go see it. But like, I don't want anyone else doing this role until Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance also, do it on film. They also just did it very recently. Like Tracy Letts won Best Actor in like 2012. This is, this is a production that will never get old, to be honest yeah. with you. And I want to play the youngin once. What's his name? I don't recall. I, I keep, for some reason, Honey Bruce keeps coming to my name, and that's not it, clearly. Honey is the woman. Honey is the woman. I can't think of the, her I'm a, husband, boyfriend's I'm character. I'm finna look it up. Yeah. Who's afraid? Okay. So, George Seagal played Nick. Ah, uh, yes. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing Susan Sarandon in that role. The, um... um oh, As... Now I'm blank. Martha. Wife, Martha. As Martha? I, I would Is not it mind because saying. Oh no wait no she did she did Betty Davis not in feud? Yeah. Yeah, she was Betty Davis. Yeah. I was gonna say that wasn't Elizabeth Taylor. That'd be interesting. I don't know though. Like I need Angela Bassett to return to the Oscars mm-hmm. somewhere, and I feel like that would be it. Right. Like if I was like head of Paramount or whatever, I'd be like, you know what we gotta do? We gotta do Virginia Wolf and we gotta do it with Angela Bassett going to be Vans. Mm. Or do you know who I might be thinking of? Karen Black. No, oh, of course Karen Black. <laughs> Olivia Coleman. Oh, yeah, she could do that. Holy shit, that would yeah. be great. But who would play opposite of her? Oh, I have no idea. I have to think about that. So Olivia Coleman as Martha. I could see Colin Firth doing that. <gasps> yes! Yeah. You got it. You got it. I'm yeah. not even going to argue. That's perfect. That is perfect. Guys, if you want to hire us for like casting or whatever, like we'll totally do it Because for the you. straights should not be in charge of casting. No. The straights no, are very no, notoriously no. bad at casting. No, nope, don't want that. Don't want them. They've already fucked up the world enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Anything else on Susan Sarandon? No. Okay. <laughs> so uh, moving on to yes. our final lead actress of 
1981. Oh, yes, is... you get to do it this year. Yes! What? The Meryl. Oh, oh I, I was just going to do the ones that she was nominated for before. Boo! I'm not, I don't have your talents. So Meryl Streep was nominated for the French Lieutenant's Woman in 1981. This is her third of 93 nominations, <laughs> having previously just been nominated for The Deer Hunter in 78 and winning for Kramer vs. Kramer in 79. She won the Golden Globe for Drama and the BAFTA and the Los Angeles Film Critics. So I guess you could say of these five, she was the more likely to be the frontrunner. Mm-hmm. In The uh, French Lieutenant's Woman, she plays Sarah and Anna. Anna is an actress playing the character of Sarah in the movie within the movie. Sarah is this sort of melancholic outcast woman who's having an affair with a character played by Jeremy Irons, who's also playing an actor version of himself. And there's parallels between their love affair in real life and their character's love affair in the movie within the movie. So, thoughts on Meryl Streep in The French Lieutenant's Woman? I don't like it. Um, this is my second least favorite Meryl Streep performance. This is also Meryl Streep's least favorite Oscar-nominated performance. She said that on the Graham Norton show. Yep. She's not a fan of this one, which I totally get. This is not a good movie. This is boring as fuck. This is a fucking mess. This is not good. This is not Meryl's best, and that's all I gotta say about it. It's not good. Nope. No, thank you. No, ma'am. Don't want it. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this movie either. Um, I feel like this movie needed a more creative director yeah because this is a movie that could be very formally interesting Mm -hmm. with this whole dual storyline layered thing they have going on with this movie within the movie and Mm -hmm. the parallel love affairs but i've seen this movie a couple of times and it just for the most part with a couple minor details feels like two separate stories yeah they don't feel like they blend very well to me like there's the like the opening shot you have Anna in the character of Sarah looking at herself in a mirror, checking herself before they roll. And you get like you get Anna rehearsing. But I wanted the storylines to blend more. I wanted the director to play around with things more. And I think that would help Meryl Streep's performance. I think it would make the movie more interesting. Okay. Because, well, Meryl has also said, I don't remember if it was in that Graham Norton interview or if it was in another one, but this director was a very st- um, hands-off director who didn't really give her or Jeremy Irons any direction. Okay, but here's my thing about that. I have worked with directors who are very hands-on, and I've worked with directors who are very much like, do your own thing. If you're to do your own thing, and this is not me throwing shade, because clearly Meryl Streep is there, I'm here, but if you are going to do your own thing, you have to be able to bring it. If you can't bring it, I feel like this is the result that we get. Is that fair to say? I understand what you're saying, but he... From what I heard with this Meryl Streep interview, he had an idea of what he wanted, but he wouldn't tell her. So she was just doing things differently. Okay, that's different. Yeah. That's different. So I, I can probably find that interview and send it to you, but okay. she, she would do a line, and he wouldn't give her a line reading or tell her specifically what to change. He would just have her keep doing it differently until it worked for him, and they would move on. So there wasn't a, a through line for her. She just kept doing things differently, and then it just came together in the editing room somehow. Can so, I, I, so I think that's probably why this performance is kind of all over the place for me. And they don't really... The two characters don't come together. Because I think for Meryl, they didn't really come together. That makes sense. If that... Yeah. Two things, though. The fact that there's this many issues, and she was kind of like the front runner going into this, makes me wonder like what the voters were thinking at the I don't know if it was just Meryl love. Yeah, but Meryl was still too fresh. This was only her third nomination. And she had just won, right. Mm-hmm. But like, this was only her third nomination. I honestly don't think like Meryl Streep Overload hit until Out of Africa. Maybe Silkwood. 
Mm. Maybe Silkwood, but I would say out of Africa. Yeah. Um, but also to, I, I don't know if, I think this is like the editing issue. This movie's confusing as fuck. Like if, you're, if, yeah. if you don't realize that it's dual story, like you honestly don't realize it's dual stories going on. That's why I think this movie needed a more interest, more a more creative director because I don't think these two storylines work. Yeah. As one cohesive movie. Yeah. It feels like two very separate things. Like if you're aware of what you're watching, you're aware that Anna's a character played by the actress Anna, who you're watching in the other storyline. Like you, it registers for you as an audience member. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they really come together in a very interesting way. Yeah. And I think that's to the detriment of Meryl's performance. I think this movie needed a director who was like, this is what I want, and spoke it clearly and was able to articulate it to Meryl. I think it would have helped her performance. Okay. I'll give her that. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, I got nothing else for Meryl Streep there. Yeah, I don't have much else. This we, is my second have, least favorite Meryl Streep performance. We, of course, love Meryl as an actress, yeah, but this movie is just not really working yeah. for I me, mean, or I guess for you either. Yeah, I mean, clearly I love Meryl. I mean, I gave her the yeah. Oscar for Deer Hunter as right. a tie with Penelope Milford. Right. Have you given her one yet? Kramer. I th- wait. I gave it to her for Kramer. Oh, I gave Jane Alexander for Kramer. Yes. That's right. Yep. Heard. Yeah. Well, shall we get to it? Sure. Our favorite part of Academy Queens <laughs> is ranking these mm-hmm amazing actresses um uh supporting i'm gonna start with number five jane fonda okay um i kind of i kind of hit it jane fonda just feels like she's acting for the camera it's not it's nothing special and i've seen better jane fonda so jane fonda my love you are number five she's my number five as well twins um yeah basically for everything you said she's um she didn't blow me out of the water in any way Mm -hmm. i was like that's jane she's doing her jane yeah and, she's uh, Janeing. I'm fine with the nomination. I, of course, love Jane Fonda, but she's not getting my win. Yeah, number four for me is the winner that year, Maureen Stapleton. Mm-hmm. I just, there's nothing going on for me to connect to this character. I mentioned it, like, you have to, like, if you're in this big of an epic, you have to really do everything you can to stand out. And even though she is the most, like, my favorite, or she's the most memorable for me in the fact of Reds as a whole, it just doesn't do much for who's left. Um, with that said, I think Maureen and Jane should have been taken out there for Chris McNichol and um, Kate Reed. Mm. I think they would have, that would have been the, a great lineup uh, with the with the remaining three. But yeah, I would say Jane Fonda at five, Maureen Stapleton at four. Okay. I struggle here with my placement of my two and my three or three and four, and I think I'm I think I'm going to give it to Maureen Stapleton as well at four. I really like her in this, but. I think on a visceral level, the other remaining nominees kind of did something a little more for me. I like Reds. I like what she's doing in it. But just looking at these individual performances and what they did for me as an audience member, I kind of feel like I have to put Maureen at four. Heard. Yeah. Um, I For three, I'm actually kind of excited because I didn't get to put her any higher than five the last time we talked about her. So clearly I'm talking about Melinda Dillon here because mm. we talked about her in 77. I think I put her at fifth. Um, yeah, Melinda Dillon is, um, I really like what she's doing here with the amount of time that she has. I think it just goes back to that theme that we've seen so many times in this movie. If she had a little bit more, she could have been higher. Um, but she's definitely a lot better here by far than what she's doing in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Melinda Dillon is my number three. Melinda Dillon's also my number three. Oh my. I'm, I... Yeah, I got something a little bit more out of this performance, this character, than I did out of Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel what she's going through. And, yeah, I, I really like her in it. So, yeah, she gets my three. Well, we are tied together so far. Um, 
And with that said, we both have Joan Hackett and Elizabeth McGovern left. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say this this was kind of an easy decision for me. I think both of them are very strong, but Elizabeth Elizabeth McGovern is coming in second place for me, while Joan Hackett is in first. Um, I'm giving the Oscar for sure to Joan Hackett. Um, regarding McGovern, though, I think it's a great first, and I can't I still can't believe this is her only nomination. Maybe we'll see a return right. for Downton Abbey because she did get a Golden Globe sure. nomination for that. Um, but yeah, I, I think she's, she does well with she, with what she's got you. She's the most interesting character in ragtime outside of Howard Rollins. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I dig it. I really like it. And it, unfortunately I hate saying this, but it's one of those things that if in another year I could have seen her win it. Sure. Joan Hackett is perfection though. Only when I laugh is perfection though. But yeah, Joan is just like everything I want in a best friend. She's it's so sad to me that she died a mere like year after the Academy Awards too from ovarian cancer because I would have loved to see what she'd be doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's perfect. I think the Golden Globes got it right. I think the Oscars got it wrong for fuck's sake they got it wrong. But Joan is the perfect blend of comedy and drama, and she is my winner. Okay, I'm actually giving my runner up to Joan Hackett and oh. giving the win to Elizabeth McGovern. Okay. Um, I like Joan Hackett a lot in this. I think she's funny as hell. Uh huh. Um, but Elizabeth McGovern, when Ragtime was over, she was the one I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Joan Hackett, of course, you know, has Marsha Mason and James Coco, so right. it was hard for her to stick out in my mind in that way. Okay. But I love her. She's hilarious. I wish she had done more. I wish she had gotten more recognition in her lifetime. Elizabeth McGovern, though, is really working this character for me. I wasn't too crazy about the movie itself, mm-hmm. but I really liked her in it. I thought she was doing wonderful work. I can't believe she hasn't had another Oscar nomination yeah. since then. And that's what, like almost 40 years now? It'll be 40 years yeah. in, in two years. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts. So 38 years. But yeah, so Elizabeth McGovern um, was the standout for me. She was the one that when the movie was over, I was left thinking about that specific character. I heard. So yeah, I'm going to give it to Elizabeth McGovern. Wow, we were so close. Time. We were so close. Yeah. All right, Mr. Lead. Okay, so um, just a reminder, your leads were uh, Catherine Hepburn, Fran Golden Pond, Diane Keaton for Reds, Marsha Mason, Only When I Laugh, Susan Sarandon, Atlantic City, and Meryl Streep for French Lieutenant's Woman. I am giving my number five to Meryl Streep for French Lieutenant's Woman. Love Meryl. This movie is just not working for me. The character is not really coming together, and I think that might have more to do with the way the movie's put together than Meryl as an actress. But that being said, it still doesn't come together, and so I can't give her a win for it. I agree. Meryl is number five. I don't like it. I don't want it. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I can't. I can't. There's nothing going on here for this. It's not a very strong movie. It's no. I'm, this movie's in the Criterion Collection, and I want to check. What? Yeah, I want to check it out from the library just to read the little booklet that comes with it because I want to read the academic reasoning for it because I just don't get it. I know people that like this movie, and I'm not one of them, and I want to understand. I'm gonna be kind of be hated for this one, but I, I mean, Cries and Whispers is also in the Criterion Collection. That's not like a really good movie. I like Cries and Whispers. I know. I know it's not. I don't like it. I can't. This is not about Cries and Whispers, I know, but I know we're going to be sidetracked here for a minute. I can't do that movie. I Like, the performances are good, but, like, the movie's rough to get through. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a painful movie. It's painful. But painful in a way that I think works for me. But I like anyway. Fanny and Alexander, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Bergman's not everyone's thing. No. No, no. Bergman is not everyone's so, thing. So, uh... Moving on to my we number four. We got a little <laughs> So uh, my number four is going to Catherine Hepburn, Fran Golden Pond. Okay. Um, 
love Katherine Hepburn. Uh, I think she's doing pretty good work in this. I'm glad that she got this recognition, especially considering it was the last time she would be up for one, and she, of course, won it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the performance in the movie that I think works for me the most, and maybe it's because she didn't have the personal connection that the Fondas had. But um, I guess I like these other ones just a little bit more. Yeah. So I'm giving her my number four spot. I'm giving four to Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. Um, like Meryl, I just she doesn't do anything for me in this one. I've said it so many times already. I don't want to be beating a dead horse here, but just Reds. I'm just I don't enjoy Reds. Um, she's got a she's at the upper leg here on Meryl just for the fact of like. I think she's just got more to do, clearly. There's a lot more going on for her character here. It's a more coherent. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, if I were to like give a tie for like the worst of the five, it would be Meryl and Diane. That's just me. Okay. Well, my number three is going to Susan Sarandon for Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a great first nomination for her. Um, Atlantic City is a movie that's kind of grown on me since I first watched it. I was kind of meh on it the fir- when it first ended. Mm-hmm. But I think this performance is really working for her yeah. here. Um, it's not distracting in any way, um, and I think it's really good first nomination for her. No. But I'm going to give her my number three spot. Well, I hear you're Susan Sarandon, and for number three, I'm actually giving it to Katherine Hepburn. Um, I don't know. The, the, my bottom three, for me, this is a very weak lineup for lead actresses. I wouldn't say it's the worst that we've seen, um, but she's the most memorable of the three weak ones. And I consider her Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep to be the, the weakest ones. Um, again, it's just the knight in shining armor and away we go, go, go. That puts her at three for me. Yeah. So, well, I have Diane Keaton and Marsha Mason left and I have Susan Sarandon and Marsha Mason left. Yeah. So this one was a little bit of a toss up for me. Um, but I think, I think I'm going to give my runner-up to Diane Keaton for Reds and give the win to Marsha Mason for Only When I Laugh. I like Diane Keaton in Reds a lot. It's a character that really works for me, and I really feel like I get that character in a way. And after I finished Reds, I was like, yeah, I'm giving the win to Diane Keaton. And then I kind of remembered, well, Marsha Mason never really got one, and I gave Diane... There's another role that I would give Diane the Oscar for, so I'm being fair in a way. But I also do really like Marsha Mason in Only When I Laugh. I think it's her strongest performance of her Oscar-nominated performances, and she does leave quite an impression on you when the movie's over. So I feel perfectly okay giving the win to Marsha Mason for only when I laugh. Heard. Um, these two are stupidly strong, in my opinion. Um, like I said with Susan, I think this is her best nomination of the ones that she's ever gotten that includes her winning role for Dead Man Walking. Um, and then Marsha Mason, I think this is her best of the four that she's got. Um since the beginning of time, though, forever, I have always had Marsha Mason winning. So that means I'm giving Susan Sarandon the runner-up. Mm-hmm. And Marsha Mason, we agree there, should be the winner here. Um, for Susan, I just think that, I mean, I've already mentioned everything that I like about her. There's not really anything I don't like about her. She just got fucked with being up against Marsha Mason here. Um, this is the best of the best for this year. Um, she is everything you want in a leading performance. Uh, tell me I'm wrong though with like how I said the Olivia Coleman thing. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it's everything you want. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. This is a role where I could really see Olivia Coleman just shining. Yeah. This would be it has good. everything. This would be good. 
But yeah, Marsha Mason, fucking winning. She should have at least one Oscar to her belt. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I gave it to her. Like, I really do like Diane Keaton in Reds, mm-hmm. but in my mind, she won her Oscar for looking for Mr. Goodbar. So I'm perfectly okay with <laughs> giving it to Marsha. Well, it's funny, too, because now I can talk about it because now we've done 1981. I always had Marsha Mason winning for The Goodbye Girl. Yeah. Because, and I would have actually have her winning for this, so I'd have her as two with wins. With two. But it was revisiting Turning Point with Anne Bancroft just sealing mm-hmm. the deal. Um, Anne Bancroft is fierce in that movie. So good in that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, Marsha Mason is totally underutilized in Hollywood. And, she, you know, she does a lot of directing now of stage work in New Mexico where she lives. Oh, interesting. Um, so like regional theater type yeah. stuff? So if you're a oh, regional cool. theater actor in New Mexico and you want to work with Marsha Mason, find her. She's in Santa Fe. Is that where she's from or does she like retire there? She retired. Well, I mean, she, I say she retired she's still well, acting. Yeah. But yeah, she lives in Santa Fe now. Oh, interesting. So. Yeah, so I give it to Marsha Mason in lead and Joan Hackett in supporting. Yeah, and I gave it to Marsha Mason in lead, and I can't remember who I gave it to in supporting. My oh, mind just governed. Yeah, that's right. My <laughs> mind just went blank. This is a two consecutive. Uh, this is the only time for me that this has happened. Is that in last week's episode, nineteen eighty, I gave it to both Resurrection Women, right? And now I'm giving it to both Only When I Laugh Women. Oh, interesting. Is there a theme here for me? I don't know. We'll have to fucking see. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I think this is a this is a fun year. This was a really fun episode to record, actually. Yeah, we got distracted quite a bit. Hopefully, hopefully people like when that happens. <laughs> yeah, for hopefully sure. Hopefully that's entertaining. Well, it's funny because I, I did text you last night, so we just published episode uh, or the 1974 episode. Yes, yeah, so 74 just went up. And I was listening to it, and I like I don't like that episode just because I feel like I talk so much over you in that. Oh, I felt yeah. really bad. I was like, oh god, shut up. I don't like that episode either, but for different reasons. I know your reasons though. Yeah. It's just my stumbling at the end with yes. the winners because I have personal stupid shit. Hey, go Diane Carroll. We both got it on that mm-hmm. one. Um, but anyway, so yeah, this has been fun. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we uh, say adieu? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered everything. All right. It's perfect. Well, I'm Joey Gentile. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category, where we do all the work so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Until next week with 1982. Bye. Bye.